to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. And we're bringing you baseball history. That's right. We're a bi-weekly baseball history podcast where the story catcher doesn't know what the story pitcher is on the mound throwing them. That's right. And I am going to back-to-back starts because Edzy went down to visit one of our former subjects. Yeah. I, uh, I, it's amazing how much history uh, and respect is given to Charlie Pride around Nashville. I mean, it's not surprising. It's, it's, it's well-earned. But, uh, yeah, I, there was a few different statues and uh, displays that I uh, forced my girlfriend to take pictures of me <laughs> next to. So uh, thanks to her for enduring all of my uh, country music fandom while we were down in Nashville. So Yeah, you got to see his, uh, his bust at the, at the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that that's awesome. Uh, if you didn't check that one out, we, we did a rerun of that last time. And while you were gone, Edzie, I was looking up some World Series uh, stories, and I was very excited to find this one because I had an idea of where we were going to go, and then it kind of went in a different direction. And I'm kind of happy, but uh, but you'll see. Before okay. we do that, where can people find us, Edzie? Uh, people can find us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and on Instagram and TikTok at Doing Dot Baseball. I'm on Twitter uh, or X, whatever, at Sean Do Baseball. And I'm there at Ed's Do Baseball. That's right. And of course, Edzie, we have a sponsor, our favorite beers, which I am cracking right now A2 Loons Brewing. Beer. <laughs> uh, either way. Is that the IPA or is that the new lager, Sean? Oh, this is the IPA. And uh, check out Two Loons Brewing at twoloonsbrewing.com. And, of course, check them out uh, at your favorite bar or your favorite LCBO across Ontario. And, uh, yeah, lots of big things. I'm really excited to visit them once they get their brick-and-mortar location going very soon. And, uh, Edzy, of course... Uh, please be of legal drinking age and, of course, enjoy responsibly. All right. And I also want to, before we get started here, also thank the listeners for listening to us wherever they found us. And if they could give us a rating or a review, that would help us get a little bit of a bump. And, of course, thanks for listening. Of course. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this one, uh, Edzie and everyone out there. Because, uh, uh, yeah, this came kind of randomly. I, I just kind of saw something, and it snowballed from there, and my original idea was put on the shelf probably for next year. Um, but okay. in October, we do like to share uh, playoff and World Series stories. So today, uh, we're going to talk about a game that was played on October 26, 1986, in Queens, New York. Okay. The Mets. Yes. So, it was Game 6 of the World Series, a game which would cement Bill Buckner's name into the history books for all the wrong reasons. Okay. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with this game. Absolutely. But we're not going to be talking about that play. Of course. Of at course. all. Everybody knows we're about that We're a little play. bit more obscure than that, or at least we try to be. Yeah, because Buckner's error was far from the most interesting thing to happen. To Bill Buckner during that game. To Bill Buckner. 
Well, to a lot of people, but okay. specifically to Bill Buck. Okay, so something else that Bill was involved in. Yes. So the Red Sox looked like they were on their way to their first World Series since 1918. Boston had gone up 2-0 in the series, only to see the cocaine field Mets come storming back to tie the series at two games apiece. <laughs> and yes, they were cocaine fueled. Oh, just... There's a lot of coverage you can find on that. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. Um, so the Sox would take game five as Bruce Hurst managed to navigate uh, the, li- or the Mets lineup, giving up 10 hits, but through a complete game, giving up just two runs. So... The Red Sox lineup featuring the likes of Chicken Man, Wade Boggs, Marty Barrett, Dwight Evans, and Jim Rice were able to scratch four runs off former Cy Young winner Doc Gooden, and the Sox took the game 4-2. to They were one win away from glory and had, had just beat the Mets' ace. On top of all that, they had Roger Clemens taking the mound for Game 6 against Bob Ojeda. Okay, so if you're a Red Sox fan, you have, like, this is the the best situation for you going into game six. You just beat Doc, and now you're... You got Rocket going out for game six, and... What know, could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. What could go wrong, Sean? So just as Red Sox fans thought game six started out very well, or just as Red Sox fans thought... <laughs> as they would expect. It started out well. Okay. Uh, Wade Boggs led off the game with a single. Uh, then uh, Marty Barrett hit a 0-1 changeup right on the nose into right center, but the sinking liner was snatched up by a perfectly positioned drug-fueled hellion known as Lenny Dykstra. Okay, I thought that's who you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> then... With a he- and he had a huge lip, a jaw, into oh. a cheek full of it. You can watch this game on YouTube. It's very, very easy to... It was great. It was very easy to research this one compared to the other story yeah, yeah, I was thinking. Yeah. Um, so then step to the plate, William Joseph Buckner, the Red Sox three-hole batter. Buckner was not the type of three-hole hitter we were used to seeing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the all-around lefty was a, lit- a bit of a late bloomer. He was drafted by the Dodgers out of Napa Valley High School in 1986 and made his debut at the young age of 19, playing just one game. The next year, he earned a spot on the roster in April, but hit just 121 and was sent down to AAA, where he absolutely fucking raked. Side note, uh, he had a broken jaw <laughs> this oh. time, uh, he, he which he got shortly after his uh, demotion in a collision with teammate, but... Uh, Bill was tough. What did he just... Obviously, yeah. Played through a broken job. Played through a broken job and performed quite well. Yeah. Uh, The Spokane manager at the time, some guy named Tommy Lasorda... Oh, who's that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He said, Buck broke his jaw, and the front office told me to sit him out for five weeks. Buckner missed only one game and wound up hitting 335 (laughs) and learned to spit and swear with his jaw wired shut. (laughs) He came in and he... He couldn't speak, but he spit his words out in blood. <laughs> he was also just chewing at the time. Yeah. Just a wired shut jaw yeah, tobacco. Said, he said, put some tobacco in there before you wire it up. <laughs> just just <laughs> leans his head over and a brown goo just leaks oh. out on the ground. Tommy Lasorda's like, a boy. <laughs> That's the kind of player I need. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, Buck with... <laughs> bo- Buckner would secure his spot on the roster the next year, go on to play six seasons with the Dodgers, hitting 
289 with a very average OPS plus of 99. It's like reminds me of like uh, Edwin Encarnacion a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He never not, not the same kind of body type, I don't think. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Just uh, but he he. His his bats seem to get better with age, though, just like a Napa fine wine. No. Or a fine, because <laughs> he was come from Napa. Anyways, so in seven full years on... <laughs> I see what you see. Uh, yeah, yeah. So in... Hey, uh, yeah. <laughs> so on the, yeah. I just totally, like, forgot. Yeah, he gets traded to the Cubs. I, like, just didn't write that in yeah. here. And then okay. I'm like, oh, yeah, and on the north side, he has an OPS plus of 109. So he's getting better, and he even won a batting title of uh, 324. Uh, in nice. 1980. Okay. So, boy. Yeah, he led the NL in doubles in both 1981 and 1983. In 1984, the Cubs traded the 34-year-old to Boston. The next year, Buckner led the Red Sox in RBIs and even without much power was seen by the baseball elite as a great three-hole hitter. So basically, he just drives in RBIs. Mm-hmm. That's the reason mm-hmm. he hits three. He's in today's game. He's like, he's a high average, but like ten to fifteen home run guy. Yeah, like he's not batting in the three hole today. No. No. There's no. He's like Whit Merrifield, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like your six guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, anyways, uh, but he's, still, he's got like great numbers, and like he's obviously like a great hitter and that's kind of like oh yeah i mean i'm sure you're probably going to touch upon this but that's like the great tragedy of bill buckner is like he's so well known for this one blunder play that most of us know about oh yeah absolutely and, and when i say when i compare him to whit merrifield like whit merrifield's a good hitter yes yeah, <laughs> Very yeah good no hitter. it's, it's not just, to sully anybody's name yeah exactly it's not uh yeah he's they're just not a, a three type hitter right for today's standards exactly yeah. so unfortunately the red sox uh, for the Red Sox, um, Bill's bat uh, would go silent uh, in the 1986 postseason. He had an on-base of just 207 in the ALCS against the Angels, in which Boston came back from a 3-1 series deficit. At least in that series, he turned it on uh, for the last two games of the series, going 3-for-6 with a run and an RBI. Okay. But in the World Series, his bat would go quiet again. He was... Just three for twenty-three in the series, or sorry, four for twenty-three in the series, with just one RBI. Uh, and after a good game two, Buckner was just one for his last fourteen as he walked up to the plate in the first inning of Game Six with Boggs on first and one out. Okay, so he's been struggling, but sounds like he's due. He's due. The pitch, which was probably a strike at the knees on the outside corner, was dropped by Gary Carter. The crowd, applause, and cheers had not stopped, though, as Ojeda had thrown the pitch. In fact, you know, it's this Bob Ojeda's about to pitch to Buckner, and the crowd's, like, cheering him on. Yeah. Just a little bit, just because, like, there's a new batter coming up and stuff like that, but there's, like, all of a sudden, doesn't it doesn't stop threw at the pits. Probably why Carter might have even dropped it, too. Mm-hmm. Because it just grew steadily louder into a deafening roar. Yeah. And the crowd was not going wild for what was happening on the field, but what was happening above the field. What was happening above the field? Mike Sergio was born on East 
122nd Street in Harlem, New York, I think in 1949. You think in 1949? It's I, unclear? I couldn't find a birthday. Oh, okay. Didn't look that hard. This guy's kind of annoying. But no, right. just, right. just kidding. He's the main subject of our story. Mm-hmm. Okay. His father ran a weatherproofing business around the corner uh, where he would sometimes work. Mike was not a great student and would attend four high schools throughout his teenage years. Around 18, he was arrested when police mistook his asthma pills for something else. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, so although this experience was clearly just the police fucking up hardcore. Yeah. Sergio's... Na- Turned him to a hardened criminal? No. Oh, no. Oh. Did the opposite. <laughs> okay. This is... We're, we're going at this from the other angle. Oh, okay. It, well, it really didn't. Wow. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but that persuaded him. His night in jail, he was like, oh, I should probably straighten out my life and figure out what I want to do. Okay, I gotcha. Um, he was accepted the next year uh, in 1968 uh, into Queens College and set about studying to become an actor. Mm-hmm. Film would become Sergio's career, but he was an artist and dabbled in photography and music. Uh, He still does. And it was through a band that he sung in that he met Pete the Greek, who was be a roadie for them. Okay. Pete the Greek. Pete the Greek. Thank God for... famous guy? No. He's just the reason why this whole story happens. So Pete the Greek... Pete the Greek is the catalyst to this whole thing. Okay. Yeah. So apparently Pete the Greek was was more than just someone who could move amps and tune guitars. Pete invited Sergio to join him on... He made a a mean salad. (laughs) (laughs) Put a little cheese in it. I don't even know what the cheese was, man. (laughs) Um, So he, he invites Sergio to join him on a trip to a parachute center called Ripcord in New Jersey. Parachute center? Yeah. So, remember, this is like 1970s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, commercial parachuting. Is it like the fan place? No, no. This is like you're jumping out of a plane. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It was the first time Michael Sergio jump out of a plane, but definitely not his most memorable. Sergio said of that first experience, and I quote, I volunteered to be the first to jump because I didn't want to have to watch the others. I was exploring the discipline of being scared. Okay. So but he like, just wanted to face his fear, but he didn't want to have the extreme fear of watching the other people go. He I figured that he would chicken out at that point. Yeah, I guess. I like that. It was just like, I was exploring being scared, but I didn't want to watch everybody else because that would have been too scary. So I just did it. Um, All right. But apparently he loved it. Michael Sergio uh, kept exploring this discipline as he began to parachute more and more. And that's where he met his friend and mentor, Jumpmaster Owen Quint. Quint Master. Yeah, he's a serious parish shootist. Oh, that's a it's a fitting name. Yeah, well, we're gonna a cool job title. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you write that like on your landing card when you like land in another country? It's like <laughs> occupation jump, jump master. master. I'm good at jumping. <laughs> <laughs> I jump from really high. <laughs> really high. <laughs> it is a job. Yeah. <laughs> Like, parachute master would probably be better. Anyway, jump master. Carrying on. So, uh, Quinn uh, legitimately saved Sergio's life, but not in any way you'd actually expect. Once at an upstate skydiving site called Shawanagi, Quinn persuaded Sergio and a group of other skydivers to move their campsite from under a large pine tree. Shortly after, a bolt of lightning split the tree in half. (laughs) 
You just sense it. Yeah. Okay. So they're like, oh, well, this dude's cool. <laughs> saved our lives. <laughs> Thank you, Jump Master. <laughs> yeah. So Quinn and Sergio became close friends, both having grown up uh, a little rough in, in New York. Although on that that part, uh, Quinn beats Sergio. Uh, Sergio's expulsion. Sergio's like, I got kicked out of school and I got arrested for my mm. asthma pills. Mm. But, uh, you know, Quinn was a decade older than Sergio and had briefly been abandoned to the abusive New York Catholic orphanage. Both his parents were just like, nah, fuck it. <laughs> okay, he wins. Yeah, so as a boy, uh, he was, and he was forced to join the army or go to jail when he was 20. So he got into some serious shit when the judge yeah. was like, jail, whatever, or yeah. army. He chose army and more specifically the airborne division. Okay, makes sense. It's coming together. Yep. But he goes to jump school and never jumps. They're like, man, you're the jump master. <laughs> no, no. Okay, he doesn't. So, sorry, he doesn't jump? No, he goes to jump school and then uh, it goes AWOL and steals a car. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so jail. That's a turn out of left field. Yeah, that's straight a judge. To, straight, <laughs> to jail. straight to jail. <laughs> you had your choice and you were like, ah, I choose the army and then you fucked that up. Yeah, okay. So he goes to jail for a couple of years. At 23, Quinn... Jailmaster. Yeah. At 23, uh, Quinn finally got to jump out of a plane, though, when he drove with some friends to a parachute school on Long Island. Quinn found his love in life, but would not uh, pursue it for several more years. Eventually, Owen Quinn would become a jump master and would go to West Point for intensive training to become an instructor. So he, once okay. he leans into it... yeah. Like seven years yeah, if after, he had just actually done it in the <laughs> army and not stole the car. <laughs> he would have been a pretty cool guy at West Point, though. Like, I don't think he like joined the army. Like, I think it was some like auxiliary kind of like training that he okay. like went to do at West Point. Like, went to like a boot camp. Yeah, well, like a, a parachute boot camp or yeah. whatever. You know. So, anyways, he 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 goes back. He studies it, but I don't think he actually joined the army uh, because he works a lot of construction, right? Okay. Um, so, uh, he's a jump master and Sergio and Quinn became fast friends with Quinn mentoring Sergio, but the two would also pull off one of the greatest base jumps in history when Owen Quinn jumped from the top of the World Trade Center on July, in July 1975 with Sergio alongside him on the roof to snap a photo. Damn. Yeah. That's a pretty intense jump. So they both remember Sergio's dad had like the the whatever waterproofing business and uh -huh. this guy works construction. So they both just like are in their construction gear. And they just snuck up there with some high vis and some confidence essentially. Yeah, I think Owen worked on the site for a while too, so he knew he it really scope well. Scope it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh so uh there would have been pretty new buildings at that point, right? Like Oh yeah, like I don't think it was 70s. finished. Oh really? Well no, no, sorry. It was finished, but like the upper floors were like Still, still being built up. Yeah, there. so there were people going to work there at this point. Okay. But, like, the roof, because they were like, oh, we're here to do the roof stuff. Yeah, people were like, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, cool, yeah, go, 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 go ahead. Go up 100 stories. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think they, oh, the elevators only went up to, like, they had to walk up, like, 30 flights of stairs. Okay. Once they, you know, it was a very tall building. Mm -hmm. So, he he, uh, he he jumps, and he has to just, like, run and jump off this thing. And the building is, like, goes like outward right remember we talked about the same thing in the in the what's his names when they were throwing it off the the washington yeah, memorial yeah. and stuff yeah. like that too so it's just like he survives and he is of course arrested as soon as he yeah. lands yeah and michael sergio had no idea it was like i hope you live 
moved and like <laughs> ran down the stairs and the security guards were like, where's your body? Yeah, like, that, that guy's got to work till four. Where's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, but he's got a plan. So he takes this really famous photo of, of Buddy like jumping off the edge yeah. and like... I think that's wild to just be like, hope he lived, mm-hmm. and then like run down and you yeah. know. So he changes. He he goes into a bathroom. He changes out of his construction clothes into like suit and tie, mm-hmm. and the police are like running up while he's like, "Hey, hey fellas, how you doing?" So this is from a Sports Illustrated uh, article, which was fantastic for the background here. Uh, and I quote, Sergio took his film to ABC News, and when pictures appeared, Quinn phoned to ask if he could turn Sergio in. After all, the police knew someone was with Quinn on the building. Sergio agreed, and they ended up in a bar, along with three detectives swapping stories. Hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah. It was like, literally. Like, that guy was pretty cool, guys, but like, <laughs> don't fucking do that again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's literally a slap on the wrist. They're like, you want to just go for some beers with these detectives? Yeah. And they'll... They'll, pull, they'll scare you a little bit, and then they'll, you, they'll just let you go. But don't fucking do that again. Yeah, so eventually the, the charges are dropped. And as you could tell, Michael Sergio was probably emboldened to be more than just a witness to history the next time. Okay. So Quinn would retire from jumping, and Sergio began to pursue uh, and have some success with his acting career. In 1977, he stopped working construction and was cast on Broadway in the musical comedy Love My Wife. In 1982, he was cast as Rick in the horror movie The House of on Sorority Row. And a few years later, became classic film. Yeah, classic, classic. <laughs> uh, a few years later, I should have watched it. A few years later, <laughs> became uh, regular on the soap opera Loving. Hmm. But in 19, 19- yeah, no, some 80s. New York regional soap opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in 1986, there was something happening. Something even bigger than soap operas. The the World Series? The World fucking Series, Edzie. <laughs> All right, here we go. The Mets had gone from basement dwellers in 1983 to a young team on the rise in 1984. But they miss out on the, world, or on the playoffs in both 84 and 85, finishing second both years and coming excruciatingly close in 1985, getting within a game of the Cardinals for the NL East with four games left to play before coming up short. But 1986 was, as we know, the Mets' year. Mm -hmm. They demolished the competition and took the NL East by 21 games. Wow. Yeah. Lenny Dykstra led the way through the NLCS against the Astros in a series that was a back-and-forth affair with the team's trading wins throughout the first four games. Game five was a duel between Nolan Ryan and Doc Gooden, and they didn't disappoint with both just allowing one run through nine innings. Finally, in the 12th, Gary Carter smacked a walk-off single to center that drove in Wally Backman, and the Mets went up 3-2 in the series. The next night, the Mets would go down 3-0 early, and it looked as though that is how the game was going to end. But the Mets would rally in the ninth and score three runs to tie the game. The teams would trade runs in the 14th before the Mets busted it open in the top of the 16th, scoring three runs as Daryl Strawberry led off with a double, which was promptly followed by an RBI single, a walk, a sack bunt, a wild pitch, then another RBI single, and the Mets were up 7-4, but the Astros still had life. Oh, shit. 
They mounted a valiant attempt at a comeback and managed to push two runs across the plate with their own RBI singles. God, it was just such a fucking 80s. No one hit home runs. Yeah. Um, but finally, Jesse Orozco struck out Kevin Bass, and the Mets were going to the World Series. All right. As mentioned off... Go. New uh, York, New York. New York. The good New York team. As mentioned <laughs> off the hop, the Mets, the Mets uh, would lose the first two games uh, with Boston... Uh, with his team down, Sergio, along with some few, a few friends, uh, met at a bar in Gardner, New York, and they had a brilliant idea of how to bring the crowd at Shea Stadium to life. Oh God! So I flubbed that a little bit, but either way, the yeah. men, you know, they're losing, mm-hmm. and they're like, Whoa. so the, were the first two games in uh, in uh, yeah. Shea Stadium? I believe they were, and they lost the first two to Boston. I believe yeah, okay. so, and I'm yeah. looking it up right now, just so yeah. I don't give people the wrong information. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were in New York, okay. and the and the Mets or Boston won the first one, one nothing, and the second one nine to three. Okay, so now they're going to Boston, and the Mets fans are commiserating and being like, "What can we do to help our team?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got a plan. I got a plan. I know a guy who has a plan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the Mets would come back to tie the series. We talked about that. At this point, Sergio was unsure when to hatch his plan. Both Game Six and Game Seven were scheduled at Shea, but the Mets would lose Game Five. So Sergio had no choice. You know, Game Six it was couldn't do wait or for die. Game Seven. You can't yeah. wait for yeah. Game Seven. Right. Okay, so yeah, this was back when it was like two and then three and then, and then two, two at the again. End. Yeah. Okay. So the night before, Sergio hatched his plan. Uh, he ran into a few big problems. First, he, he needed a banner to show the Mets fans and the authorities that he came in peace and was there to support his team. He couldn't get a professional band. That's a lot of writing to put on a band. <laughs> well, he's so, not yeah. going to write that sentence. Okay. But he couldn't get a professional banner done in time, right? Because he's just like, oh, my team's down. i got to do something crazy real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got the day and a half. So he got a, a bed sheet, and he spray-painted Go Mets on it. As you would. As you would. So, Not even Let's Go Mets? Yeah, it just says Go Mets. Okay. I know. Short For a while. Simple. I was thinking about what to name this episode, and I was like, I'll oh, call it Let's Go Mets, because that's on the banner. And then I'm like, no, it's just, just go says Mets. Go Mets. It's stupid. It's stupid. You fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So then he got a call uh, from his pilot that basically was like, no. He's like, I'm not. No. I... Fuck that. I am out. And you kind of get it. But for anybody that's like, why wouldn't you do this? In order for the plan to work, the plane would have to be flying dark without the legally required transponder or its running lights on. At night, <laughs> they fly Oh, yeah, right. I never considered this part. Now, no. I went to City Field this year, Etsy, uh-huh. and it is built right next to where Shea Stadium was. Yeah. LaGuardia Airport is right there. It's fucking right there. Like they fly over the stadium right into LaGuardia. A hundred percent or out. Yeah. 
It's, if, if you're from Toronto and yeah. you've ever been to Woodbine Racetrack, <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's what it's like. Yeah, like it, they're just planes flying over there over Rexdale to fucking it, to yeah. Pearson constantly. Exactly. So the he's like, it's fine. You're just gonna fly me. You <laughs> yeah. don't. We'll get rid of that that lousy transponder that tells us where the planes are, and we'll just uh, we'll just turn out the lights. <laughs> <laughs> so the dude's like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, no. And yeah, yeah, that's sketchy as fuck, man. So, I, 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 I don't have to tell you, the plan was highly illegal. Uh-huh. And although he, he may get the glory, the pilot was essentially risking his pilot's license. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the pilot would not be allowed to fly a plane anymore. Yeah. Uh, so no He's other... got to land it again somewhere. Like... Yeah, well, there's a plan for that. But, but at okay. the same point, it's still sketchy. So Sergio's calling all the pilots he knows, and they're all like, no "No way, man. No. And with no other options, Sergio turns to his mentor, Owen Quinn. Is Owen Quinn a pilot? No. (laughs) But I will quote from Sports Illustrated, and this is the best fucking quote in this whole story. Oh, there's a couple. Um, My name is... And I quote from Sports Illustrated, Quinn knew a man who could fly the mission, a pilot who owed him a debt dating back to 1969. <laughs> if Sergio was completely serious, Quinn said, he would give the pilot a chance to redeem himself. <laughs> like a spy. <laughs> Listen, man. I know this guy. What did he Jungles of Cambodia, and he owes me one. <laughs> we just gotta go find him, that's all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so Quinn, and I quote, I really put the screw to the guy <laughs> I tied him to a chair and put screws to his thumbs electrified the screws you're a pilot goddammit! fly <laughs> <laughs> so Sergio had his pilot and his plan goes into action so him and two others on the day because remember it's a night game it's a Saturday uh, it's two others they, they, they rehearsed earlier in the day uh, and they use a counter story of their like demonstrating a jump for people on Long Island, and they're you know having an American flag and we're part of the air go show. Mets, you know, because they have to test the banner to make sure the banner doesn't kill them when it unfurls the okay. parachute, right? right? So they need to do okay. all these things. So they they run through this a few times, and right before they're about to leave, because there's three parachutists. One of them is just like, no, nah, I'm I'm not doing this. I don't want to go. I'm just going to go to the bar. How come there's three of them? Well, there's three of them. The parachute. Like, it's friends. Okay. But, like, three of them, they need three to unfurl the whole banner? No, no, no. He has the banner on his. Right. And I think the other guy had an American flag. Mm-hmm. And I have no fucking idea what the third guy had. Okay. So maybe that guy's useless. It's a cover story? Yeah, he's like, guys, instead of doing this and going to jail tonight, I'm going to go to the bar and watch the game. (laughs) And this delays them a little bit because they were not planning on jumping during the game. They were planning on jumping and landing during the national anthem or like right after, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They, They wanted to be like the flyover. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. They wanted it to look planned almost. Right. And Sergio wanted it, like, he's done all the details, but this guy leaving and them arguing a little bit delays things. And they get up in the air and they're flying and they're listening to the pregame along with, on the radio, along mm-hmm. with LaGuardia Air Traffic Control. Um, so the plan was to make a straight shot 
70 miles north uh, from Cobalt Airport, just outside Wallkill, New York, and they were going to go straight down over the stadium. Yeah. Um, and they could almost see the stadium as soon as they got up. Like, you know, yeah. you could. Like, there it is. There it is, okay. right? And they're flying without lights. <laughs> no lights. <laughs> so as they approach. Like that big green circle over there. Yeah. And as they approach, a problem occurred. The game was starting. Uh, the remaining jumper alongside Sergio, who had the American flag, was like, whoa, the game started. Like, I'm not. He's like, never mind. Never mind. mind. And Sergio was the only one left. And he told the pilot to just be like, Keep going, man. <laughs> like I'm doing this. I'm fucking doing this. It's but my, remember, it's Owen my fucking destiny. Well, and it's bro. his mentor, right? He was like, "If you're serious about this, then I will pull in a debt from 17 years ago yeah. where I fucking saved this guy's life." And the... <laughs> anyways, so they approach. Uh, the pilot aimed for Shay, and Sergio began to psych himself up for what he was about to do. Back to the Sports Illustrated article. Normally, a plane's engines and throttles uh, are, are throttled back before a jumper leaves, but Sergio had a couple of miles to fly in order to reach Shea Stadium, and he needed all the momentum possible. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So he's, like, jumping a bit, or he's like, we don't have much time. I need to he's be going. Jumping early. He's jumping early. He's, like, yeah. he's planning it. Yeah. Man, that sounds sketchy. How much cocaine were these guys on? I'm guessing not zero. Yeah. <laughs> he's in like, the film seems business. Seems like not zero. In New York in the 80s. So, he, still quoting, he would have to leave the plane while it was at full throttle. Sergio lunged back and forth in the open doorway like a downhill skier in the starting gate. On the third lunge, he plunged out of the aircraft and into the night. <laughs> My god. It's so intense. Sergio fell into the night sky and set himself up uh, to open his canopy at 4,000 feet. Uh, but for a moment, his pull cord on his parachute jammed because of the fucking banner. Like, it was, like, trying to go up, and it, like, caught on the banner, and he was just like, ah, oh, shit. No. Uh, but he, like, yanks it, and it mm -hmm. goes up, yeah. and he's good. He's, he's good. the jump master. Yeah, well, he's not the jump master. Well, he was a the mentor. student, student yeah, of the yeah. jump master. Yeah. yeah. So the last minute, his chute opens, along with the Go Mets banner, still intact, and Sergio was uh, in the air for about four minutes as he cruised toward the brightly lit stadium. As he approached, he now had a second thought that was he definitely didn't think about in the plane. He worried he may land during a play and possibly mess up the game for the Mets. It's like, what, it's like, what if I block a Dykstra home run yeah. as I like land, fly into the stadium? Yeah. Hit, you know, fuck up a, a pitch and then, you know, anyways, yeah. it, it, this is a real, you know, problem. The game's going on. Uh, maybe he should just land in the parking lot, he thought, but he watched from a few hundred feet above the stadium as Ojeda delivered his first pitch to Buckner. When the ball popped out of Gary Carter's glove, Sergio made his move, right? So <laughs> he's I, like discerning whether he where he should pick his landing point based on what's happening in the game. Yeah, and I think like people could see him at this point. It's like maybe I'll land on Buckner and that'll fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, Sergio would say, "I could see the play was dead, and I turned into the stadium. I heard a roar. I was confused because there was no play going on, and then I realized the noise was for me." <laughs> yeah, man. It says, "Let's go Mets on your ass." Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to land on home plate, but Carter and the umpire were not moving, so I had to cut towards the first base 
line. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Sergio's bright yellow parachute and white jumpsuit, along with his large frame glasses, was quite the spectacle. Get it? Anyways, uh, Sergio was immediately taken into custody nice. as he jogged into his landing about 10 feet from home plate. <laughs> The crowd roared louder and louder, and as he was being led away by police and security, Sergio pumped his fists and yelled at the crowd, Let's go Mets! Let's, Let's go, go Mets! That's awesome. Uh, he was led into the tunnel of the Mets dugout, but not before getting a big ol' high five from Ron Darling, sitting comfortably and cheering on the spectacle himself. It's like... The ultimate entry into the stadium. Ab- like, absolutely. Like, didn't hurt anybody, so, like, I totally admire this guy's move. I mean, he got himself arrested. He probably can't go to Mets games anymore. Uh, but yeah, well, I mean, and the... I mean, maybe he can. Well, you'll see. At this see. point. You'll see. So the funniest okay. part of, of all this is, like, because I watched this several times, at mm-hmm. least over the last couple of days on the YouTubes. Um, the funniest part is, is watching the police officer trying to, like, because they're brushing him off the field, mm-hmm. and they're, like, police officers trying to, like, get his parachute, his, like, and they, like, take him down the stairs, and the parachute's, like, bigger than the doorway. <laughs> <laughs> police officers. <laughs> it would be, yeah. Yeah. So, Mike Sergio was now a Mets legend, and also, Mike Sergio was in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Mets fans would go home happy after the infamous Buckner error, but Mike knew from the start that he would probably not go home that night. Sergio would be charged with criminal trespassing and reckless endangerment. Those charges would be small potatoes, though. The NYPD was one thing, and in fact, Mike's brother David uh, was an M- NYPD officer. So it's like even more like, oh, I got a buddy. You're like, oh, it's David's brother. Go Mets! Go Mets! Oh, you're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, his brother has has cancer at this time too, which is sad. Oh, we'll get to that in yeah. a little bit. So Mike was definitely treated well by his uh, arrestees. The police, oh, okay, definitely were like, "Yeah, you want to watch it in jail?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay. So he spends the night in jail. He's released without bail, uh, right in time to watch his team win Game Seven. Started by the high-five-giving man himself, Ron Darling. Mm-hmm. Ron would uh, get hit around a bit, though. Apparently, the you know the the magic of the parachuting didn't help him too much. Yeah. But the Mets would storm back from a three-nothing deficit to score eight runs combined in the sixth, seventh, and eighth, and win eight to five and clinch the World Series. The series was over, but as you can guess, Sergio's legal troubles were just starting. The prosecutors in Queens, though, claimed that Sergio's actions could have injured fans and players and had interrupted tra- air traffic at nearby LaGuardia Airport. That yeah, dis- like the sketchiest part is the plane part. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. So, really, the trespassing and the landing and the all that. Yeah, like, that's all, like, you know, bad to a certain extent. But, like, he didn't, like, really... I mean, he didn't hurt anybody in general, but, like, just... <laughs> The flying a plane around when night with no lights on <laughs> around an airport, like, just like a, yeah, like right next to a busy ass airport, is like yeah that you should you should not get a slap on the wrist for that. Well, the Mets players uh, all pulled in, and according to Sergio, they they helped him get a, a good lawyer. Uh, he pled guilty to the criminal trespass charge in exchange for prosecutors dropping the more serious charge of reckless endangerment. So. Okay. America, right? Yeah, if you get a good enough so, yeah. lawyer, they're like, 
yeah, that was the worst part, the reckless endangerment, but mm-hmm. we'll just go with the later part just to avoid trial. And, yeah. You know, you seem to have some money behind you now we'll, and your brother. <laughs> <laughs> just give us some of that money and uh, it'll all be good. Yep. Well, and uh, he was fined. Uh, so the LA Times reported on December 20th of 1986 that Sergio was fined $500 and sentenced to 100 hours of community service by a rhyming judge in New York. York. A rhyming judge? Yeah, I was very confused by this, Ed. Not just because of the reference to a rhyming judge, which I thought might be like a county, but no, it's it's like a rhyming judge. Like, like, a, um, like he raps? Yeah, but it, you'll you'll hear. Um, but <laughs> it's just the, the journalistic guidelines, you know, just the way they put the, the like, quote, it like messes up the rhyme. So I just fixed the quote. So I'm quoting from the LA Times, but but I fucked, I, I, I mixed it around a little you paraphrased bit. Paraphrased it a bit? Well, because they put the criminal court name, like the person right in the middle, and it just messed up the flow to the rhyming. <laughs> so I read it the first time. I'm like, okay, rhyming? What? This doesn't rhyme. And then I'm like, oh, if I just say it differently, it does. Anyway, so criminal court judge Phyllis Flug ruled. So a week before Christmas, here in the court, I sentenced defendant for interrupting a sport community service and a fine you will pay happy holiday to all and to all a good day why i don't know it's just a good mood that day man (laughs) december 20th yeah christmas time i know just whatever sentencing aside one way or the other just like why why is she a poet yeah. at, at doing it. so weird. Listen, man, don't take joy out of people's lives. No, 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 I'm not. Like, go ahead and do all your rhyming. It's just, I, I, what a weird thing to uh, to experience, I guess. I don't know. Carry on. I'm well, judge it any further. I will carry on. Judge it. Get it? I'm such a dad now. <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> uh, Sergio had some bigger problems, though. Uh, he gets a slap on the wrist, as noted by the rhyming or rapping judge. And now, though, the FAA had launched their own investigation, which is the uh, Federal Aviation Administration, uh, who is, as you pointed out, quite pissed about yeah, the plane part. They're upset. <laughs> they are they're very upset. upset. They're not gonna rhyme <laughs> are they gonna rhyme something <laughs> off you f- flew a plane very dangerously <laughs> tell us who you were with or we'll, we'll kill you <laughs> that, doesn't rhyme. that doesn't rhyme at all <laughs> I was going somewhere with that <laughs> oh, anyway the FAA launched their own investigation and they were hell bent on finding Mike Sergio's pilot Mike and his friends in the skydiving community. Where's were... the jungle pilot? Where is he? <laughs> Where's this man? He's back in Cambodia, man. <laughs> so he's subpoenaed and interrogated. Uh, all, like all, even his friends, they're like, "Who fucking flew this plane?" Yeah. And none of them, because they're all skydivers. They have like they were code. If they rat on pilots, then no one's gonna fly for them, and mm-hmm. then they're not gonna do that. Yeah. So they all stood. Nobody, nobody said anything. And I think Mike kept it pretty close to the chest but obviously at least two of his friends knew because they were with him mm-hmm. uh and so at first they were like playing good cop or i guess good faa and they <laughs> offered sergio immunity if he answered all the faa's questions including who his pilot was they were like just tell us how you did it in detail including random on your friends and we won't prosecute you yeah, <laughs> yeah. you uh, won't be able to continue to do whatever you do ever again yeah so Sergio stood firm, and he refused to tell them. 
In May 1987, Sergio was now prosecuted for his unwillingness to give up his pilot. L.A. Times. The parachutist who dropped into in on Game 6 of the 1986 World Series was sentenced in Brooklyn to six months in jail and a fine that could reach $18,000 for refusing to name the pilot involved in the stunt. U.S. District Judge Henry Bramwell said he had no choice but to take action that may compel Michael Sergio to cooperate with officials from the Federal Aviation Administration. You may notice, Eds, that, that fine, it's... I, that quote that I ended abruptly <laughs> says it could reach $18,000 because Michael Sergio would pay a $100 fine for every day that he didn't give up the pilot. Okay. So they're like, all right. Could be a, yeah. Today it's 100 Tomorrow it's 2 Then it's 3 And that goes till 18000 yeah. And then we don't care. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to find 18000 bucks, or you got to talk to us. Yeah. Um, so, what a weird arbitrary number. I know. It's the, the justice system. Anyway, so Mets... We've decided that 180 feels right. <laughs> we only care for 180 days. That's six months. Yeah. <laughs> That's six months. So... Yeah, he he gets uh, he gets sentenced to jail for six months and a hundred bucks. So he's uh, per day in jail that he doesn't talk. So uh, it's Bill Buckner. <laughs> <laughs> he was at the plate. No, he was flying. That yeah. was his brother, Phil Buckner. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he couldn't hit in the World Series. <laughs> he's truly a Mets fan, even though he's from Cal. Anyways, <laughs> um, so Mets fans rallied. Around their dude, though, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, they were like, like hey, we got 18,000 bucks. The mafia is just like, here you go. Here you go. Well, <laughs> no, they, they don't, they, they get a little bit, uh, they get a little bit more, but than that, like, they start actually like rallying around this guy and being like, hey, like, he's a good guy. Like, come on, what are you doing? Um, you know, New York He's stuff. the best guy around. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Sender Alfonso Diam. D'Amato uh, of, of New York would end up working on Sergio's behalf for his release. Okay. So there's a public outcry. Uh, to make it worse, uh, Sergio's brother was, was in, like, the final stages of his cancer. Mm -hmm. So he's in jail. Okay. And everyone's like, yeah, they, like, sent the Mets guy. He was a cool guy. He jumped into the World Series. And, and his brother's got cancer. Yeah, he's a, he's a cop. He's a good, good old New York <laughs> PD. Like, so the, the optics a, the optics okay. look bad, at least in New York. Yeah, okay. So, you know, politicians get involved. Michael Sergio would, would serve just 21 days in prison and pay a fine of $2,100. Uh-huh. Uh, and was a free man. He never gave up the pilot. Okay, pilot's still living free in the jungles of Cambodia. There you go. He's right. gone. Yeah. He is gone. Yeah. Uh, an FAA statement released by the federal authorities in Brooklyn said, In view of the unlikelihood that continued incarceration would produce full disclosure by Mr. Sergio, the FAA has asked this office for Mr. Sergio's release. Which is kind of fucking badass to just be like, they're like... He's just going to serve the eight, six months and then just crowdfund, like, $18,000. Like, there's... Yeah, what's the point? Like, he's, he's not going to talk. He hasn't learned anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he's not going to cut our losses. His man's above the law. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're saying. <laughs> um, Mets fans have spoken. Yeah. 
Uh, so, but you know, of course, they have to save face. So, U.S. Attorney uh, Andrew Maloney tried to turn everything around for the state, saying his incarceration of 21 days and his fine of $2,100 should stand as sufficient warning to would-be copycats that the government takes violation of federal air safety rules very seriously. <laughs> Listen, we only care about one-ninth of how much we originally care once you, you know, talk to your lawyers. So, like, don't, don't, don't try to do the same thing. Slap on the wrist. Yeah. Um, mine would be played by the 1987 version of Coke Fund Me and Sergio got out of jail. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, from, from the UPI article, I don't know, UPI.com or something like that, there's an article. Uh, Sergio, uh, looking tired and unkempt, walked out of the courthouse, a free man, and said his experience represented the American spirit and the willingness of people to stand up for things they know are right. <laughs> Which is a crazy thing to say. You're like, you violated federal airspace. The American dream is fuck around and don't find out. <laughs> I think he just did it. Yeah. I think that is the perfect definition of the yeah. American dream. No, I just want to be able to do whatever I want and not have consequences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he lived it. And he lived it. This dude lived it. Um, to, Makes to, perfect sense, is what you're saying. <laughs> he was vindicated. Yeah, he was he's like, ahead of his time. I did everything right. <laughs> <laughs> I am a role model. Go Mets. There was this interview um, that I was reading that I really didn't include anything from because I, I kind of found it annoying. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of the annoying part that I will include was like the guy's like, you're... Uh, the interviewer was was discussing the stunt, and he yeah. was just like, "It wasn't a stunt. It was like art. <laughs> like it was a it was a show. <laughs> like it was like yeah, he's like try. I don't know whether he's saying that to be like legally like that's what he argued in court and mm -hmm. needs to keep up that facade, or if right. he was just being like an artiste, mm -hmm. being like, no, I'm an actor. Like that was <laughs> that was not a stunt. That was a piece of theater. <laughs> so." It's a that, piece of living art. Yeah. So his his uh, brother would sadly die weeks later, uh, but he was able to spend some time with him uh, because sad. he got out of jail. So that's the one part where I was like, yeah, he's not he he's not gonna tell you. Just let him go see his brother. Yeah. That's yeah. where I do sympathize. Uh, mm -hmm. And Michael Sergio would continue uh, acting and getting a handful more roles throughout the eighties and nineties, including in a Kojak made for TV movie. Um, he's still alive. A larve. He's still alive. He's alive, man. He's alive. He's alive and alive. <laughs> he, he is still alive, as far as I could tell at the time of this recording. Uh, his Instagram uh, account has 379 followers and says this in the about. Film distributor, writer-director, jazz singer, Shay Jumper, long, long, lifelong New Yorker. What a, what a bio. Yep. And if you scroll that account or his Twitter account, you can see he still celebrates the anniversary of his jump into Shea Stadium, which would have lined up better for this one if you didn't take a road trip. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> and that's that. Yeah, that's a wild story. I, I didn't... Frank, I, I've seen that uh, clip of, of uh, Sergio dropping down in the stadium probably a hundred times, but for some reason I don't remember that it was 
game what game, game six, six of the world's of the world series where buckner, buckner was missed at the ball like wow. yeah or badly yeah he yeah. was at the plate and yeah. that's the one thing i think that's just like i i don't know i i, I focused in on buckner and gave a lot of background on the series and stuff well to that's like, that's like the, the historical <laughs> context of game six right <laughs> yeah. so but buckner was just you know there were so many things that happened in that series and stuff we could you know i I didn't want to do a 1986 world series like just that like it probably deserves it but i think it's been done before too so yeah yeah that's that's been extensively yeah so when i saw a clip of this guy jumping in the stadium and i kind of just like looked up his name and then you know, I started finding a lot of background on it, and the, just the whole story of like that other guy jumping off the World Trade Center and like uh-huh. him calling in his shot to like, no one will fly me. Yeah, and then like I got a guy. Yeah, that's like the craziest part of it all is like you know the the setup to being able to actually pull that off. Like it's amazing in itself to see the footage from the game. Yeah. But, you know, myself and a lot of people probably don't think about what had to happen in order for that to happen. Because, yep. like you say, you got to essentially pirate a plane <laughs> over into into airspace that you're not allowed to fly in in order to fucking jump into the stadium yeah <laughs> like over america's yeah and you're parachuting in an urban area which anybody can tell you is not an easy thing oh, like you need sketchy. to be really skilled to be able to do what he did mm-hmm. um but yeah no that's just it, it's it's well sorry buckner probably would go down in the trivia books as like the guy at the plate during that mm-hmm. instead of I'm gonna remember that from now on. Exactly. So, anyways, uh, yeah. And one you. one postscript on that is, is is it was the World Series that that gave rise to the curse of the Bambino, which really didn't exist too much in like Boston baseball like lore at that lore. Like yeah. that was when people were like, "Why the fuck do we suck? Yeah, it's been <laughs> fucking seventy years for God's sake! <laughs> what happened? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. we sold Babe Ruth. That's why. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah." But also at the same point, I don't know. I just think of like the like how much that fucks with you. Like you're at the plate too, and some parachute dude jumps in. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like that would be a major distraction. You know, he <laughs> Not was ju- probably thinking about the parachute guy when the ball went between his legs. I mean, yeah. So I say, uh, Michael Sergio, <laughs> New York legend. Well, his plan worked, I guess. Fired yeah. up the fans and fired up the Mets, and they won. Uh, I listened to our uh, last playoff one, or not, but either way, where it's playoffs begin this week, uh, when some people will be listening to this, not to date this too much, but who you got? Who's your World Series? Mm, I just, I, I can't hate on the Braves. I got nothing bad to say about the Braves. So, All right. You know, I was just down in Georgia, All right. and people are uh, really proud of the Braves, obviously, as They're they uh, as they probably should be, and, uh, you know, I guess I'm... I mean, I'm obviously pulling for the Blue Jays as a fan, but this it's just been a weird year. I don't have a lot of confidence in the team, to be honest. No. You know? So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm pulling for my new friends in Georgia that I met down so, there. But who's your who's your AL t- team matchup? What's your World my, Series my matchup? AL team? Hmm, well, it's it's also, you know, they're, they're young, but, you know, uh, I think I'll go with, with our friend Justin's team, the Orioles. All right. All right. Yeah, that would be a fun you? World Series. No, I mean, yeah, you almost have I'm going Dodgers. I just love the Dodgers. You can't, you can't, you can't count them out ever. Can't count them out. And I, I, would, I would despise this. But if I think Houston can make a run 
And mm. I think it like could Houston's be. Houston's always capable of making a run, man. Yeah, they no. just got to get hot. They just pitching gotta... scary. Yeah, that, that would suck, but also be cool kind of World Series. Anyways, uh, until next time, two weeks from now, in the middle of the playoffs, uh, you can join us for another uh, postseason episode. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Twitter uh, at Dude Baseball, on Instagram and TikTok at Dude.Baseball. Edzy, uh, where can they find you? I'm at EdzyDoBaseball on Twitter, EverinX.com, whatever you want to say. I'm at Sean Do Baseball, S E A N. And until next time, uh, thanks so much for listening. Give us a review, give us a rating. And I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were doing the baseball. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm.